Cast. Well, hello, friends, and welcome to episode 135 of the Burden of Command podcast. This podcast is a production of the Leadership Phalanx, and you can find out more about me and what we do at leadershipphalanx.com. That's leadership, P-H-A-L-A-N-X.com. I'm your host, Earl Brian, and today's guest comes to us from our friends over at Interview Valet, and his name is Dr. Trevor Blattner. Trevor is a podcast host, author of the book Redefining the Top 1%, and a leading thinker on shepherd leadership, a modern approach to leadership designed to encourage traits that guide, support, and uplift. With over 20 years of research and coaching, Dr. Blattner has developed a model of leadership that breaks free of the antiquated and regressive notions of what it means to lead. His enlightened approach to leadership is based on behavioral science, personal experience, and a strong commitment to personal values. Now, as you can see just from that intro alone, uh, Trevor and I have a lot in common, and we have an outstanding conversation coming up here that I'm not going to keep you from any further. So I'm going to shut up, get out of the way, let that stinger play, and let you get into this outstanding interview with Dr. Trevor Blattner. Trevor, thanks for being with us. Earl, thanks for having me. It's uh, it's always great to be on a new show, and and your your show is particularly interesting. I love the title, um, and I love the other episodes I've listened to already. So I'm I'm excited to be a part of it. Oh, well, thank you very much. It means a lot coming from uh, a fellow podcaster, and we'll, we'll talk about that here because I want to give you a chance to, to pub uh, your podcast, and uh, we're going to talk about your book, Redefining the Top 1%. Uh, but yeah, no, I really appreciate that. And, and speaking of the title, let's get you started where I start everybody. What is your version, when you hear the phrase burden of command, what does that mean to you? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, the The phrase, you know, is... It's a bit intimidating to, to think about because it does sound, um, you know, to me, it, it brings a, brings about the feeling of responsibility, um, you know, particularly, you know, in terms of uh, a privilege, really, that we have as, as leaders um, to influence those that we come into contact with. So I think it's, it's really the responsibility and privilege to influence um, is, is what the burden of command means to me, but also which is, is very much related to the book um, that I wrote recently, Redefining the Top 1%, is that that, that privilege, uh, you know, it's not a right. It, it can be lost based on our own individual performance uh, as leaders, you know. And so if we're not, uh, if we're not holding up our end of the bargain, um, that privilege to influence others, um, hopefully in a positive way, can be lost. So I think that's part of the burden of command um, as well. Yeah, no, I, I love that. I love that last piece there too about it's it's not a right. I mean, because mm-hmm. I think that's that's something that a lot of folks struggle with, uh, especially when you start talking about like say you know generational companies. Oh uh, sure. Yeah, that they 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 feel like just because that they are the son of the previous person who everybody loved, mm-hmm. that they have the right to lead, and and you got to earn that every day, right? Yeah, you do, and and you know the name the name. Um, it's kind of that 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 cliche in sports, you know. It's it's not about the name on the back of the jersey; it's about the name on the front of the jersey, 
And, uh, you know, in many ways, that's true in leadership, too. I mean, if just because you're the the next in line generationally uh, and you have the same last name as the previous CEO or, or owner um, has nothing to do with how successful uh, or effective you're you're going to be as the leader of the company. And so um, I think that's a great point you bring up. Yeah, no, I love it. So, OK, let's let's talk about redefining the top one percent here just a sure. second, because, uh, you know, one percent is is one of those phrases that, you know, has been very popular, was more popular a few years ago. We had the, you know, the Occupy one percent and, and all that mm. good stuff going on. And so that that term has has had a lot of negativity uh, attached to it. So mm-hmm. why? So is that one of the reasons why you want to quote redefine the top one percent? It is. I mean, it is one of the reasons. And um, you know, there's there's a few different different ways to to sort of explain the the idea. And one is, you know, I am a I am a hyper competitive person. Uh, and so <laughs> I think. I think a lot of people that are, uh, you know, maybe in leadership roles or, or have, have had a limited amount of success in life, they have that kind of competitive edge um, about them. And, you know, so to me, the, the top 1% in, in and of itself is somewhat of an attractive um, idea in that we always want to be striving for that. But I do think that the, um, the term has gotten a very negative uh, connotation over time, and and understandably so, you know, um, and so the idea is not really that um, you know we want to strive to be in the one percent in an exclusive way, but what we want to do is redefine what for us each individually is is the very top one percent of our own contribution and ability, and so um, how can we look at uh, you know particularly there were, there were some statistics that that I came upon as I was doing the research for this book, um, which really was prompted by, you know, the COVID-19 outbreak early 2020 is when kind of the writing ramped up for the book. And so um, when I was doing the research there, you know, it it came up statistically, there are a lot of, you know, a lot of challenges um, we as Americans and globally have uh, from a mental health standpoint, um, you know, just from a, a, socioeconomic standpoint as well. And I'm just going to throw a couple of those out uh, as far as, you know, so the listeners can get an idea of, of my thought process as I was, I was writing the book. Um, one of them is that the use of antidepressants by Americans specifically um, is up 400% um, over the last 30 years, um, which I thought is, is a pretty remarkable stat, you know, uh, yeah. just, just saying that, we as, as Americans, um, being a pretty, pretty hyper, uh, achievement oriented culture in general, um, we're still struggling a lot with, with our own anxiety and our own insecurity and, and, and mental health challenges. Um, and that was, that was alarming to me. Another thing that really probably even more so was, uh, an article I read in the Washington post by a guy named Rich Lowry. And he wrote, um, about the, the life expectancy, um, particularly between the ages of 25 and 65, for the first time um, in several generations, is actually decreasing. Um, and so people in that kind of sweet spot in life where, where you should be thriving, 25 to 65, 
um, people are dying um, much earlier than than previous generations, and a lot of those um, deaths are either self-inflicted or you know related to addiction or or things that are uh, not natural causes. And so, you know, all those things together, um, you know, in in his in his article, he rounds it out by saying American adulthood has suddenly become more lethal than it has been in decades, um, and it's defined by more uh, by less procreate procreation and more self-destruction. And so um, it's kind of that uh, it's kind of that dichotomy of um, you know we've got the side of really pushing toward being the very best we can be, um, but also the side of really just struggling to survive <laughs> yeah. and, and and balancing the two things. Um, and so um, that's kind of where the, the title of redefining the top 1% came from. And, and the idea of the book is really, you know, what are the, I'm a research oriented person, you know, and so uh, I did my residency and, and wrote, a, wrote a thesis and been published in, in peer reviewed journals and all that. And so that's kind of the way my brain works. And so what I tried to do was build, uh, you know, a set of behaviors that people can kind of put into their lives that are based on, on sound research and, uh, and also aren't, you know, aren't just theoretical. They can actually be put into practice. Mm. Well, no, I, I like that. And, you know, as, as you're, as you're sharing those statistics, you know, it, it's, it's, you're coming on the heels of, uh, so we're recording today on, on August 12th. Uh, the Census Bureau has been talking about getting ready to put out new data that shows that uh, for the first time uh, in history, the the uh, basically the the white demographic is is shrinking, and the the quote unquote minority demographics are increasing, and they, a lot of these things that you're talking about, right, is is quote successful white people are. Uh, you use the clinical term procreating uh, right, less. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and and what's interesting is hearing you say those statistics and, and the Census Bureau thing coming out, it, it reminds me, and I know some of my listeners, because I've got a lot of veteran listeners here, and this is the kind of humor mm-hmm. that we gravitate towards. Uh, <laughs> and I don't know if you've ever heard of this movie or not, but uh, Idiocracy. I have heard of it. I have not seen it, though. So it's, it's interesting because... Um, it's widely panned as as the first movie that was filmed as a comedy that has become a documentary. Uh, oh, interesting! Because this is the this is the premise of it, right? Is like at the very beginning they go through this whole thing where uh, people stop having kids because they're more worried about their careers, and because uh, the the in the movie the way they term it the the less intelligent uh, are still procreating. The, the kind of the IQs going down and, and, and society takes this shift, right? Now, I don't think we're quite there yet because we're making great advancements right now. But I guess but the point a, is... It's an interesting premise, though. Isn't it, it is. That you could see where it, where it could happen. Yeah, it, it definitely mm-hmm. is. And, and they even had a... Uh, uh, I'll just say they even had a Hollywood president in the movie. Uh, so, uh. <laughs> so there you go. Um but no, but again, kind of circling back here, like it, it is, it's very interesting to, to see, you know, that, that uh, some of this stuff is actually happening, right? I don't want to get distracted oh, by yeah. the movie part here, uh, but it's interesting to see these statistics coming out that this is actually happening. And uh, you mentioned these, these kind of seven, uh, seven behaviors. Uh, yeah. Let's talk about a few of those. What, what are some of those seven? Yeah. So, you know, I, I sort of laid the book out in a, um, 
in a visual, uh, there's a visual at the beginning that, that sort of shows a, a stair step um, and a, a triangle sort of that puts all the, the behaviors together. But the idea is that each behavior um, precedes the one before it and, and, you, and then you, the next one builds from there. And so um, I'll just kind of walk you through the behaviors, what they're, what they're called. So behavior one is embrace radical responsibility. Um, which is very difficult to argue with. I think uh, right. anyone that's a successful leader understands that, that taking responsibility is is kind of foundational, um, you know, to success. And then number two is recognize and optimize your higher self. Um, number three is choose leadership and manage ego. Um, it was originally titled "Refuse Ego," but then uh, that's not really realistic. Uh, so <laughs> so we right. so we changed the title to "Manage Ego." because uh, we all deal with it uh, in different ways. Um, number four is strategically design your reality. Um, and actually that chapter <laughs> talks quite a bit about uh, quantum physics and, and you know goal setting and how the two uh, work together. And then behavior five is commit to mastery. Uh, six is relentlessly invest in the big three. Um, and then number seven is uh, the final one, which really ties all of them, them together. And it's about uh, having faith in something that's that's larger than than oneself. Um, and that one's called be still and know. And so um, just those those are the seven behaviors and they all sort of, uh, you know, build on one another. Um, we can kind of talk talk about any of them um, in in whichever order you'd like. Uh, but I mean, I do think. You know, addressing number one is important uh, because it sort of sets the tone for for everything else. And I do think that it's um, it is a challenge. Um, you know, even you know, for me personally, certainly, um, when you write a book like this, um, you know, there is an ideal that you're you're setting forth. You know, and you there's an ideal version of each of us that we strive to be and and that ideal version would be the version that um, adopts each of these behaviors um, at the very highest level um, at at all times both um, you know in front of people and behind closed doors and i think that uh, you know jocko willink and some of the other uh, navy seal types have written books uh, about this this idea of responsibility and i think um, those ideas resonate so well because we all know it's it's true that without that uh, foundational element of saying you know the buck really stops here and and even things that are quote unquote outside of my immediate control still fall under my responsibility if they're happening within my organization or my family or or um, my team and. You know, I think until a leader is able to sort of embrace that idea, um, it's hard to really build any other behaviors that are effective on top of it. Um, and so there's there are different exercises that we we go through. Uh, there's actually 35 different like exercise related activities throughout the book to kind of integrate these behaviors into our lives and and um, you know just try to be more effective daily. So. Um, you know, I can go through a few of those as well, but one of the things I think that I would uh, would want to mention also uh, that has to do with this first behavior, and really all of them, is uh, just the idea of self-awareness um, that is not really, you know, we don't really uh, have education on that. Uh, and, you know, things like, 
emotional intelligence and, uh, you know, self-awareness, you know, being really aware of our own um, strengths, um, but also our own inherent weaknesses that we may or may not be aware of, uh, you know, and, and are oftentimes um, uh, unconscious, you know, they're, they're, they fall into the, the realm of something we're not consciously aware of, but others are. Um, and I think as a leader, it, it is within our realm of responsibility to try to get a hold on those things. Um, and that's something I've learned the hard way. And, and I would think that almost anyone in a leadership role of any kind, whether it's as a parent or a coach or a, a, a CEO, uh, has probably had that challenge at one time or another. Yeah. No, I love it. And, and I think you're right. And, you know, again, Jocko, I love Jocko. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, uh, but, you know, the thing being being a Marine, uh, that, that that's those are some of the same principles, you know, that we mm-hmm. were taught, uh, kind of the foundation. And what I like about your behaviors is, is uh, you're going through those and you have them laid out in the, uh, basically chapter by chapter. What's interesting is, and I don't know if you've done any work with military folks or not, but it lines mm-hmm. up very nicely with what we call the 11 leadership principles. Mm. Uh, I've adapted them here at the leadership phalanx to, to call them shields of the phalanx. Uh, but, you know, one of those is is seek responsibility and take responsibility for your actions. Mm. Um, mm. And those can be traced all the way back 2,600 years to, to Sun Tzu. Uh, so <laughs> we know <laughs> that if you got something that lasts 26, 2,700 years, there's probably some validity to that, right? It's tried and true, I would say. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. No doubt. But, and what I love about this, because, and so let me ask you, like, when you're, especially when you're talking about number one, because I know Jocko's ran into it. I've ran into it quite a bit. Sure. A lot of people read this one principle here, this one behavior, embrace mm-hmm. radical responsibility. Mm-hmm. And they translate that into everything's my fault. Everything's my fault. Everything's my fault. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. Everything's my fault. And it's not <laughs> what you're trying to say, right? Definitely not. No, no. And I think that I think that there's a subtle, subtle shift there in that, you know, um, it's first of all, I think it's not really about blame. You mm-hmm. know, um, it's not really about saying, um, you know, obviously this particular situation didn't go the way we would have drawn it up. But um, and that may be due to a, a number of different reasons. It's usually not one thing that happened or one individual um, that is, you know, quote unquote, um, fault is, is related to the, the problem. But I would say that um, focusing on on who's to blame, you know, whether it's yourself as the leader or um, another another individual is not as important as realizing that um finding a way to a solution, you know, and being solution oriented rather than problem focused is the key, you know, and I think part of, of taking responsibility has to do with the way we think, you know, and taking responsibility for, uh, the type of a, of a thinker and the type of a, um, an energy that we bring to the organization uh, and the team. And I think that that energy, um, needs to be solution oriented rather than, than problem oriented. Um, and I think that, that that's really more important than that idea of saying, well, you know, if something goes wrong, it's, it's my fault because I'm the leader, you know, I'm, I'm to blame. Um, and so I think that distinction is, is important to make, um, because really at the end of the day, does it matter who, 
you know, who's to blame? And, and the answer really is no, is no. It's just the important thing is what do we do to move forward in an effective way? Uh, and, and you just hit the nail right on the head with that last comment there. Uh, you know, it's crazy to think it, that it's a little over two years ago now, but um, back in episode five of this podcast, I, I relayed the story of uh, uh, Apollo one. And I don't know if you ever heard this speech or not before, but uh, it's called the Kranz dictum. I don't know that I have. Yeah. So, um, so for those uh, listeners who aren't familiar, uh, you know, Apollo one uh, in the lead up to it is when they had the, uh, the big fire that killed the three astronauts. Yes. And mm-hmm. they had, uh, they had an investigation coming. Well, Gene Kranz, uh, you know, way before Apollo 13, he was the big the big dog there, right? Right. And before right. they even had a chance to call for an investigation, Monday morning, because this happened on a Friday, Monday morning he gathers his team and he basically says, I don't care what the investigation's fine, we were at fault. And he lays out mm. a list of things that, that they did. You know, we got complacent. We didn't, uh, we, we let our checks slip. We didn't do any of the things that we knew that we were supposed to do. And that mm. led to this death. We're all responsible. Mm. He didn't say you're responsible. He didn't say I'm responsible. Yeah. We are responsible. And mm. that last piece that you gave there, I think, was the critical piece. He made everybody there go back to their office and on the chalkboard, he made them write the words tough and competent. Mm. And that was the two words that they had to, uh, that they had to live by was, yeah. you know, we're going to be tough. We're going to stand up when we see something wrong. We're going to, we're going to have the fortitude to stand up right in there. I don't care if you're the first person here and you're talking to Gene Kranz, you better say something. And everybody better come through the door with a competency to be able to identify their job and what's going wrong. Mm. And it was solutions, which you just talking about. It gave them a clear solution on how to go forward, and their record improved, and they went straight. And you know, we got to the moon finally. Isn't that amazing? It, it, it is right because you know, think about that for a second. Like, and this is the one thing I always like to point out because it's. I hope you can hear that you've struck a chord with me here because I love this. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> well, it's you so know, important. Yeah. Well, you know, think about that for a second, right? Most Americans know. Gene Kranz through the mm-hmm. Apollo 13 disaster. Mm-hmm. And those men made it home in large part due to his leadership. Right. If he doesn't handle the Apollo one disaster the way he does, he's fired. He's gone. He's not even around. It, for yeah. That. Mm-hmm. And who knows how Apollo 13 turns out if we even get there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and really it's, a, it was just somewhat of a subtle shift in his mentality and the mentality that he wanted everyone else on the team to have, which was, you know, we have to look at every scenario, you know, we have to be tough enough to face the reality of it. And then we have to be confident in, in the level of competence we each have in our own role. And it's kind of, you know, it's kind of simple, not always easy, but, but a simple concept of like these two things are our focus, toughness and competency. Well, and I think mm-hmm. that falls in line, like with some of these other behaviors here, which is again why yeah. I like it. So, I mean, what he did was strategically designed his reality, right? He did, yeah, yeah, <laughs> and and absolutely. And the the other one would would be commit to mastery, you know, in terms of of competence, you know, demanding that um, 
each individual take personal responsibility for their role, you know, and, and the, the, the expertise that they have and raise the level of that expertise to the point where there is no doubt that they have the ability to solve the problem they're responsible for solving. And, um, in the, in the, in, in this book, uh, commit to mastery is a lot, there's a lot of research, um, that we go through related to what it actually takes to become an expert, you know, in, in a chosen field. Um, people have probably heard about, uh, Anders Ericsson, um, or, or, and, or Malcolm Gladwell with the kind of the 10,000 hours rule. And, and he adapted some of the concepts from Ericsson, uh, into his book outliers, but, um, that's really a, it's somewhat of an oversimplified version of what Erickson's um, research has to say about, you know, how do you practice and, and what does it look like to become really, really excellent at um, your given field um, of expertise. And so um, I think that's very much in line with with Kranz's idea of uh, of competency um, and, and figuring out a way to up level that on a daily basis. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. And, uh, you know, and, and I like the way, you know, I like the way you put that to commit to mastery and, and it's, mm -hmm. it's okay to do that. Right. I mean, like, like some people get told, <laughs> Hey, you don't want to get right. obsessed. You, and yeah, you don't want to get to the mm -hmm. point where it's unhealthy, right? You don't want to be losing certainly a fine line. Yeah, yeah exactly. I mean, absolutely. Um, and this is one where, you know, you'll, you'll ask, you know, 10 people and get sort of 10 different um, opinions on how, how to go about this in someone's life. So, um, uh, you know, I was listening to an audiobook recently, you've probably heard of, uh, Tim Grover, um, or maybe familiar with, he was the, um, uh, athletic trainer, kind of the mental toughness coach for Michael Jordan. Okay. Um, in the, in the 15 year run with Michael when the bulls were winning their championships um, and then he, uh, when Michael retired, then he started coaching, uh, one-on-one -on -one with Kobe Bryant and then Dwayne Wade. And so he's written a couple of books. One is called relentless. Um, and then the other most recent one's called winning. And it's just the idea of like, you know, what does it take to be that kind of a performer, you know, and to have the, really the mental state of somebody that's the best in the world, you know, uh, in terms of competition and, uh, you know, his approach is really, uh, you know, pretty intense in terms of uh, finding balance in life can be very challenging for someone like that. Um, and for for him, he finds that to be okay, uh, you know, to accept that balance is somewhat um, unattainable. Um, and I think that is a fine line uh, because there are times in life where we are so committed to something um, that we can get, you know, out of balance and, and, some of the other important things in our life can be put on the back burner, um, either intentionally or unintentionally. And I do think that that is something to be aware of um, as, as a leader, uh, particularly as a type A achievement-oriented type of person. Um, this is where self-awareness comes in again, is know yourself well enough to know if, you know, your tendencies and when you can get off track or um, maybe overcommit. Because uh, I know Personally, that's something that I've been uh, guilty of, you know, at many different times uh, along the way, and and I think it's just something about uh, about being aware of it and and addressing it as as you go, and it's all a learning experience. 
Yeah, I I agree completely. And uh, what I love again, you lined right up with those those uh, uh, principles of Marine Corps leadership. Is uh, one of them is know yourself and seek self improvement. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, and, and go with another sports figure. And I can never remember who it was that said this, but back when Tiger Woods was first going through, you know, his ordeals with his marriage, sure. somebody, and then like, you know, he, he had the ordeal with his marriage and then immediately his golf game dropped up, you know, okay. for the folks who don't remember, he was, there was a time where if Tiger Woods showed up wearing red on Sunday, game was over. It was, it was over. Everybody yeah. was going home. That's right. But th- they made this, this connection here that I think is, is kind of important to this here with the, what we're talking about is. Immediately after the incident where his wife threw the golf club through the uh, window, mm-hmm. his golf game dropped. They said, look, this is a guy who spent his entire life being number one, everybody telling him he was number one, and that he could do anything he wanted to. And somebody <laughs> actually stood up to him and said, that's not true anymore. <laughs> and it kind of wrecked his world. It sure did, man. Uh, yeah. it, almost a a tragic thing to watch, you know, and, and on all sides, you know, uh, cause I remember it. I mean, I, I, I grew up with tiger sort of, he was rising, you know, as I was growing up. Uh, and he had that several years in a row there where he was just unstoppable, um, and didn't look like he was ever going to, to be stopped until he decided to retire. And you're right. It's like, uh, overnight his, his, entire psyche was was flipped upside down and um you know i mean you can it shows you how important the mental side of of you know certainly in athletics but i think in anything where you're trying to perform at a high level the mental side of it is so crucial because uh, it can either make you or or wreck you like it did in in his in his life and he really never has gotten back since then well, and I think that ties into your behavior number three there, the choose leadership and manage ego, mm. you know, kind of tying that in with commit to mastery. You, you kind of, those two, and, and again, this is why I'm, I'm really vibing with what you've got going on here with this redefining the top 1% because, mm. uh, you know, everything works together. Like you said, it does. you can do one, you can do two, but it really works better when you do all seven, right? It does. And I mean, I think, and they really, you know, contribute to one another and they feed off of each other. Um, and, you know, as I said, like it, in, in many ways, as I was writing the book, it was very intimidating to me personally, and still is that, you know, to do all of these things well all the time is is not easy. Uh, I mean, it's anything but easy, but it's it's really more of a, uh, it's kind of a North Star, you know, that you, you want to set for yourself to try to be you know, the very best version of yourself you can be um, so that you can sort of represent the standard for those that are, you know, that are looking to you for, for leadership. And so, um, you know, it's interesting, the, the, the behavior number three, choose leadership and manage ego. I looked quite a bit into, you know, what, what managing ego looks like and what, like, does humility have anything to do with leadership from a, um, from an effectiveness standpoint in terms of research, like, is, like, is there anything that, that the literature says about humility? Um, and they're actually, I actually did find, um, quite a bit about that, um, and how, how truly humble leaders are, are more effective. Um, and there are a few different things that I found. Um, one is that, um, 
humble leaders prioritize organizational success over their own success, um, which boosts the the success of the organization over time. Um, companies with humble CEOs have less turnover and higher employee satisfaction, um, which is important. Uh, also, humble leaders admit mistakes and recognize their own limitations, um, which increases morale uh, within the organization. And uh, followers of humble leaders are more motivated and work harder because they know the leader is counting on them to step up. Um, so those are just a few things that that are borne out in in the scientific literature, the psychological literature, uh, to sort of support the idea that um, you know command and control and and uh, ego driven um, alpha style leadership is really not proven to be more effective than. A leader that has the awareness of uh, uh, of their own shortcomings and are willing to to sort of you know admit those and, and address them. So, yeah, well, e- exactly. You know, and I mean, we 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 it's kind of interesting, right? Because the 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 folks who don't necessarily manage their ego mm. uh, are the ones that really get the limelight because they're out there pushing it. Oh, sure. Uh, you know, it's exciting. You know, it, it's yeah, it's interesting to watch someone like that. Yeah, it, it, it is. But it's it's like you said, it's the, the, the folks that, that people really want to work for that, you know, probably going to be some names that most people have never heard before. Uh, very, very likely. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and, but, and it's uh, but extremely effective within the organization, within the team. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. I hate to keep coming back to sports here, but, you know, two mm-hmm. of my favorite coaches of all time, I think, kind of fit into that category. And it's uh, Joe Gibbs and Tony Dungy. Oh uh, wow! Yeah, very both very soft spoken, you right. know, in a public in a public se- setting. Absolutely. Oh yeah, and, and mm-hmm. both gentlemen who have been through stuff, like you know Tony Dungy's yes. story with his son committing suicide and things like that. Like mm-hmm. he's yeah. Um, but, that was always know, unbelievable to me how well he was able to to handle all of that, you know, and and be so graceful and and humble through all that, and and still, you know maintain his his effectiveness along the way you know incredible to watch it really is it really is and i think that's the key right i mean because it keeps Mm -hmm. you know it keeps everybody kind of on that that level Mm -hmm. uh you know especially with the things we're going through right now you know and and we're hopefully uh coming through the the end of this covid thing here i know Man, God willing, I, I hope so too. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, we're seeing this right now, right? The the mm-hmm. the companies with the leaders who were able to do the things we've been talking about here, they've not only survived, but in a lot of ways they've thrived. And the companies oh, no that, that mm-hmm. haven't, well, we're we're seeing a lot of issues now, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we really are, and and I think. Um, you know, generationally, this this does make a difference too. Um, you know, and and I know you know a lot's been written about millennials and and then now Gen Z, and um, not all of it's been positive. You know, the things that have been <laughs> been discussed and, and written, and um, but uh, those generations are going to shape um, our country, and um, those those generations want to work with and for people uh, that they know care about them. You know, yeah. and I think that that's a big part of this uh, this idea of redefining the top one percent. Also, is in in the beginning of the book, I talk about you know you know what's the definition of success, and there's you know everyone's got their own definition, um, 
but the one that I try to have people at least entertain the idea of, of a definition is um, how much good can, can you do for others along the way? You know, how, how much good can be done by you for others? And I think the more you can do that, whether it's monetarily or, um, you know, one-on-one or whatever fashion through your business, um, that to me is a very good definition of, of how successful a person is. Um, and I think one of the best ways to do that is to, uh, you know, to, for, for the people in your organization, on your team to know how much you actually care about them as human beings. Um, and, and that, that matters a lot, particularly to the up and coming, um, parts of the workforce. Well, a hundred percent, you know, and, and I think that's the big thing that we're starting to see right now as we're, you know, some organizations are reintegrating as they're calling it and, and mm-hmm. uh, rehiring folks because they had to let them go during the, the pandemic, uh, especially like fast food services and, and yeah. things like that. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's interesting when we see these numbers come out about how, uh, or, or the kind of the mantra, well, you know, we can't find people that want to work anymore. <laughs> yeah, we're hearing Personally, that a lot. Yeah, we are. <laughs> and, 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 you know, I mean, man, maybe you, you mm-hmm. disagree and that's fine. But for me, I think that misses the point, right, is is mm. – it's not that people don't want to work anymore. It's that people don't want to work in that environment anymore. Well, you know, I think that's worth considering, you know, uh, because, uh, you know, there's the, the piece of a piece of it is, does it make sense for, for them financially to work or not? And that is a whole different discussion. Uh, and I think it's a short sighted one because it's not going to be uh, long term. You know, mm-hmm. that's that's a short term thing. But long term, the discussion is just like you said. Um, what is the motivation to work somewhere that is a miserable situation for them? You know, right. I mean, why would they want to to pour their heart and soul and sweat and blood into something that is, um, you know, unfulfilling, uncomfortable, and they don't feel cared for, you know, uh, or cared about? And so, I totally agree. You know, and 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 you know, fast food industry, anything, um, you, in any sort of industry used to the status quo, uh, will have to, I think, regroup somewhat in terms of, uh, the way that employees and, and team members are dealt with and, um, and, you know, sort of be able to pivot in a way that allows for more personal, uh, engagement and interaction, uh, among team members. Yeah. Sounds like they got to redefine the top 1%, right? I think so. I think so. Yeah. I mean, and, and that's, a, I mean, I think that's a good point that you bring up. It is because, um, I mean, you know, I don't know if you were a, a 16, 17, 18 year old kid, would you be really fired up to dive into a situation like that? Um, the way that it is now. And I, I don't know that I would. Um, so I think it's worth, it's worth a conversation. It's worth thinking about a hundred percent. Well, and, and just kind of let me add a, a layer of clarification for, for my perspective on it here. Mm-hmm. And because I don't want listeners to hear this and, and just think, oh, he's talking about evil McDonald's or he's talking about evil Hardee's. I'm talking sure. about customers, too. Yeah. Uh, you know, some of the stories have been coming out. Look, I'm from a small town in northeast Tennessee. And, uh, you know, I just heard a story. And this is something I would, I would have never, never fathomed. Growing up in, in small town hospitality, everybody says hi, hello, yes, ma'am, uh, no, ma'am, all that good stuff, right? Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. uh, of a customer coming in and like the 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 kid. I don't even remember. It was like they put pepperoni on the pizza by accident. Like they gave them something extra, right? And a person comes in and just like throws the pizza behind the <laughs> counter and starts yelling and screaming. So wow. you can sit yeah. there and point fingers, you know, yeah, maybe McDonald's should pay people better. Maybe, you know, this should happen. But you as a customer too <laughs> should treat these people better as well, right? Mm. Well, I mean, absolutely. And and it's interesting I also, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a people watcher sometimes, you know, I always find it fascinating when people will treat um, the, you know, the waiter, for example, in that way, or, or, or um, you know, the ownership of the particular establishment in that way, and then expect great treatment uh, on, on the opposite end, you know, yeah. um, expect to be treated well. And to me, that just, <clears throat> it doesn't make sense um, <laughs> that, that, that that would be expected so, um, yeah, it, it certainly goes for both sides uh, of the engagement in, you know, whether you're on the service end or whether you're uh, giving the service. No, I love it. I love it. So, uh, you know, again, uh, listeners, uh, we've been chatting here with uh, Trevor Blattner, uh, author of Redefining the Top 1%. But being an author isn't the only skill you have, right? you, you got your own podcast, right? Uh, I do have a podcast. Yeah. It's uh, also called Redefining the Top 1%. Um, and it's been um, a lot of fun. I'm sure uh, you can attest to the, the, the interesting, you know, people you, you get to meet when you have, when you run a podcast. Um, I've been able to interview uh, Seth Godin on the show, uh, which was, which was a pretty cool thing. Yeah. He's an author that I respect a lot. Um, gosh, a, a number of uh, sports psychologists, um, Let's see who else that people might know. Marshall Goldsmith, who's a big, um, a big leadership author. Um, ben Newman, who's kind of a big uh, social media influencer. So those conversations have been really, really neat. Um, and then, uh, of course, have, have been able to talk with lots of, uh, of business owners as well to try to get just the most um, you know, up-to-date, you know, action-oriented tips on what works um, you know, in, in the world of uh, high performance and, and leadership. And so, um, that is, is the, the podcast. It's, it's fun. Uh, also incidentally, I don't know if people even know this about me, but, uh, I am an endodontist also. So if people don't know what that is, that's a root canal specialist. <laughs> so, um, so if they've never been to one, uh, they probably don't know what they've probably never heard the term. Um, but that's also, uh, that's also a part of my, you know, leadership journey is, is that, practice and and the people on my team there uh, that uh, is a big part of my life as well so no love it I, and uh so I, I was introduced to my first endodontist just a few years ago oh um, so you know you know what i'm what you're what i'm talking about then <laughs> I, I do and, and i can tell you right now um you know my experience was beautiful I had a I had a Good. great experience. I felt nothing, mm-hmm. and, and and the gentleman uh, it was a, a Dr. Lee. Uh, he made me feel at ease, and uh, you know I, I went in there scared, like most people do when they come Almost see you. Almost everyone sure. is scared to death when they walk in the door. Absolutely, yeah. And, and he told me, he says, "If you feel anything, I haven't done my job right. Let me know." That's right. That's right. <laughs> I was like, 
he said it doesn't the, have that's to the be name of the game pain mm-hmm. he said if you feel anything i haven't done my job right mm-hmm. and uh it put it put me at ease real quick so yeah endodontist so that's another one of those professions i think gets a unnecessary bad rap so uh thank you for doing that that job well thank you for saying that i'm glad you had a good experience too i, I need to shout out to dr lee is it was that he's in uh, indianapolis also yes okay yeah. cool it's a small community, so I'll have to check him out. <laughs> yeah, he, uh, sure. <laughs> yeah, he, he, he was, he, he, well, I say was, I haven't been back to him. Thank goodness. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, but, but good, even though it was a good experience, I don't want to rack up root canals, you know? Uh, <laughs> well, I don't blame you in that. <laughs> so. And they're, they're not, um, overly inexpensive either. They're, it's a, it's not, <laughs> it's not something uh, you want to do a whole lot if you don't have to. <laughs> that is correct. <laughs> that, so. that was the only problem I had with Dr. Lee. <laughs> was That's <the> right. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, no. So, uh, yeah, so I'll get the, the link, uh, for, for your podcast in here too, because I definitely cool. want folks to go check that out because you've had some great guests on there. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, I just love what you're doing. Uh, keep well, at it. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. It was it was a great conversation. I, I, uh, I loved the, um, you know, the commonality. I think in philosophy and and you know the Marine Corps uh, principles are are very much in line. I think with uh, which I'm happy to hear with uh, yeah. a lot of the ideas in the book. Oh yeah, no, and that's what I love, right? When I see a new book and, and I hear and I see these things, and when I see you know, kind of disparate groups come together with the same mm-hmm. ideas that says, Hey, yeah, we're on the right track here. So that's good. Then, then these things are working and they have right. been working for many, many years. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Uh, well, before, uh, before we work on closing out here, we've been chatting here yeah. for going on 45 minutes now and it has just been a hoot. Uh, I've loved every second of it. Um, but is there anything that we didn't get a chance to discuss that you'd like to leave listeners with? You know, there's really not, no, I'm, I, I love the conversation and I think, um, I think it's been great. And if people are able to check uh, the book out, um, there is, I will mention, there is a, uh, a bonus. If people buy the book on our website, um, they will actually get the audiobook version and the uh, PDF workbook that goes with the book for free. So um, if they go to uh, com slash book dash bonus, um, or just go to the website and find it um, at drtrevorblotner.com. They can do that and order and put their little uh, order information in, and they'll get the audiobook and the workbook for free. Outstanding. Yeah, I'll make sure so. we get that uh, link in there as well. Cool. Um, well, you've been uh, a great evangelist for what you do. Uh, I know my listeners are sitting here. They're, they're wanting to get the copy of the book. We got that covered. We know where to get it. We got them figured out how to uh, uh, get the podcast. Um, but if they want to, like, say, bring you on, uh, you know, maybe bring you into their organization or, heck, maybe they need a root canal. How can they find you best? Yeah, yeah. So uh, just email me. My uh, my personal email is TB, just the letter TB, at drtrevorblotner.com, D-R-T-R-E-V-O-R-B-L-A-T-T-N-E-R.com. Uh, outstanding, outstanding. Uh, so you got anything else in the works uh, coming up or, uh, well, at the moment, um, I am, uh, I'm going to be starting a a coaching program. Um, I'm going to start it as a, as kind of a one-on-one, um, um, you know, mentoring leadership related coaching program. Um, that's going to be later this year. Um, and then kind of piggybacking off of the book. Um, 
and then uh, also doing quite a bit of, uh, of you know investing related to real estate um, and and that kind of thing. So always looking to build my uh, my network uh, with anybody interested in in that space as well. Outstanding. Well, you'll have to uh, you have to let me know when you get that up and running, and uh, I can get that information added into the show notes and updated for you as well. Thank you. That sounds great. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Well, well, Trevor, thank you very much for being with me and my listeners. It has been an outstanding discussion. Um, I really thank you for your time. Earl, thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it, and uh, you know the pleasure was mine. Oh, well, you can't have it all. I'm going to take some of that pleasure because it was great. Uh, <laughs> thanks, man. Uh, listeners, it. thank you for being with us here. I know you got a lot out of this. Uh, uh, Trevor has shared a lot of great info, and I highly encourage you to go pick up a copy of Redefining the Top 1%, Seven Behaviors That Drive Shepherd Leadership. Uh, we'll get those links in there so you can find them very easy. Uh, also, get over there and, and show him the same courtesy that you do me. Uh, rate, subscribe, review, and share the show. Uh, if you have any comments, questions, or concerns for me, you can reach out at burden.command at gmail.com. That's burden.command at gmail.com. And again, rating, subscribing, sharing, reviewing the show, it helps us both get these messages out here. And you can have uh, my great guests like Trevor uh, help him spread his message further by, by doing that. And I thank each and every one of you that has done it for taking that responsibility seriously. Uh, with that, Appreciate you all, and I look forward to talking to you again in the next episode. Hi, I'm Mark. And I'm Peter. We're the founders of Electrocast Media, bringing you great podcasts like Nightmare Road Stories, Tech Talk Revolution, and Bodacious Minds. Electrocast networks include Ruby for female empowerment, the best business network, and GPN for geopolitics. We built this company to create community and amplify diverse voices, and we really appreciate your support. So keep listening to Electrocast Podcasts and hear the culture. Electrocast. Welcome to Sarah Talk Solutions. Ladies and gentlemen, you've tuned into a bit of a different type of show. I'm Sarah B and I'm your host. You can find me on my IG, which is Aussie underscore Sarah underscore LA. I talk about amazing, relevant conversations and topics and what functions that goes on in this magical, wonderful, wonderful city of the City of Angels. My IG, which is Aussie underscore Sarah underscore LA. Electric acid.